to do. In the winter, my siblings and I would make snow forts, and they were great bases where you could start launching um, snowball fights. I grew up in Chicago, so we did have snow, unlike Ireland where we don't get it that often. We actually pretended that it was actually warmer inside those forts, but, you know, when it's 20 below, it's 20 below no matter what. Now, during the summer, we made forts, sometimes up in a tree, a tree house. Sometimes we would make them under the porch. And we were very particular about who was allowed into these forts. And the little rascals had the He-Man Woman Haters Club. And when I was eight years of age, I would have been a charter member of that particular fort. Now, I don't think I'm the only one who loves forts. No matter where you go in the world today, you will see castles, military strongholds, you will see caves where people went in and found safety, a place that they could run to when the enemy was pressing in on them. I know Ireland itself, it has ring forts, it has crinogues, it has round towers, it has castles like this one in our, our town of Roscommon. I think it'll come up here in a minute. That's the castle in our town. We love our fortresses, but I think you understand that none of, those, none of those fortresses are perfect. Today, enemies would not find it hard to break into Roscommon Castle in our town, even though the walls are six feet thick at the base. There is no round tower that would be able to protect you from a disease. There is no military fortress that can protect you from a spiritual attack. In a passage like Psalm 90, Moses went on to tell us that we live in a dangerous world. He mentioned all kinds of dangers that are all around us, and I made a list of some of them. There are dangers in the form of natural disasters. There are terrorists who hate Christians. The economies of the world are a lot more fragile than you and I would care to admit. There are diseases where we have no known cure. And we have an enemy that prowls around like a roaring lion, and he's seeking Christians like you, like me, to devour. We need a place of safety. We need a refuge where we can get rest and refreshment. We need a fortress where we can run and we can find safety when the enemy presses in. And I'm here to tell you this morning that there is such a place, and we read about it in Psalm 91. So I would like you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 91. You will not be able to follow the message this morning if you don't have a Bible in front of you. So I know there's some in the uh, seats in front of you. If you have a Bible and the person next to you doesn't, please share that with them so you can follow along and hear the word of the Lord. So follow with me as I begin reading Psalm 91. The psalmist says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler and you will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near to you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. 
Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Well, in verses 1 and 2, what we notice first is how the psalmist makes this wonderful declaration that God is his refuge and fortress. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I want you to notice here how well the psalmist knows God. He uses four different names for the Lord that highlight four different aspects of his character. Notice in verse 1, he is called the Most High. This is showing that God is the highest authority in all of the universe. And then notice how he calls him the Almighty. So not only does God have the highest position in the universe, but he also has all power. And that's why we say that nothing is impossible for the Lord. The psalmist then calls God Lord in verse 2. Now in the Hebrew, that's Yahweh. We've already been singing that. And it, it, it is the I am. That means that God is the eternally existing one. So he has the highest authority. He has unlimited power. And he has always been and always will be the one true and living God. Even when the psalmist, he uses the generic word for the Lord, he says God, he personalizes it. He calls him my God in verse 2. So this great and exalted God is also personal. Not only is he exalted, but he is with us. And the psalmist said in Psalm 34, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. We've already heard that this morning with Jeff's testimony. It's no wonder that the psalmist says that this God is my refuge and my fortress and my God in whom I trust. Now, sometimes people might ask me, Mike, do you know John the mechanic? And I might say, oh, yes, I, I know him. He fixed my car once. But if the person then asked me, Mike, do you trust him? Well, that bumps it up to a whole new level. That's asking me, Mike, do you know this man to be good? Do you know him to be fair? Do you know him to be someone who could actually get the work done? And the psalmist has every confidence. He said, this is the God in whom I trust. And so he has every confidence to say that he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. He knows him, and then he trusts him. So after making this wonderful declaration where he's saying the psalmist, I trust him. I have found him to be my fortress. I have found him to be my shelter. He then turns to us, and he wants us to put our confidence in him as well. And what I want you to notice in verses 3 to 13, that the pronoun you keeps coming up. 
And it's emphatic in the original. And so the psalmist is saying, this is what God can do for you and for you and for you. So listen how the writer tells us, and he gives us three reasons why you can trust the Lord to be your fortress and to be your refuge. The first reason is this, because he's able to shield you from all permanent harm. And I see this in verses three and four. It says, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Now here's a little riddle for you. When is a chicken not a chicken? When the chicken is guarding its young. Now, I grew up in Chicago. I had to actually go on YouTube and look at some videos of chickens protecting their young. Um, You might have seen that growing up. I certainly didn't. A mother hen keeps her chicks away from anything suspicious looking. And you'll notice there in verse 3, it talks about the snare of the fowler. That was a little trap that was used to, to trap a bird. And so it would be something that a mother hen would keep her little chicks away from. A hen will also show her little chicks the right things to eat. If they ate the wrong kind of food, they could get the deadly pestilence there that's talked about in verse 3. When danger arises, a hen will cry out, and those little chicks come running, and she throws out her wings, and the chicks come underneath the wings, and she protects them. Well, you notice that word there in verse 4, it talks about the pinions. The pinions are the big, strong tail feathers that a a chicken would throw up, and she would use them as a shield to protect her little chicks from whatever the enemy is trying to throw at her. And then at the end of verse 4, it mentions the shield and the buckler. Well, that word shield refers to the large shield that a soldier would use to stop the incoming arrows. And the buckler, that would have been a little shield that was wore on the forearm, And he would use that to deflect the blows of the sword. And that's what a hen does. She throws out her wings, and those little chicks are protected underneath it. And she will absorb whatever blows were meant for her little offspring. And what the psalmist is doing, he's giving us a picture. This is what God does for his own people. He protects us. He delivers us from the traps that are set by the enemy. He warns us of danger, and he shields us from any attack that could cause us permanent harm. And because of that, the psalmist says, you can trust him. You will find the Lord to be your refuge and your fortress. The second reason why you can trust in the Lord is because he's able to watch over you at all times. I find this in verses 5 and 6. It says, you will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. In other words, God is able to look over you, look after you, day and night. Did you ever wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning and you hear that noise and you're laying there in bed and you start to convince yourself somebody's in the house? Well, this is one of those opportunities where you can put this verse into practice And it's not a cliche to say out loud, Lord, I will not fear the terror of the night. That's not the power of positive thinking. That's literally entrusting your very life into the Lord's hands. 
That's why David was able to say in Psalm chapter 4 and verse 8, he said, in peace I both lie down and sleep. For you, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. Now verse 5, it talks about a danger maybe that's not coming at the night, but right in broad daylight. It says, you will not fear the arrow that flies by day. Now, do you get the sense here that this is a military man who's writing this? It's probably David. He's already talked about the shield and the buckler, and now he's talking about those arrows that could be flying by day. I'm very grateful that I have never been in a war situation. Maybe some of you have served in the military, and thank you for doing that. And maybe you know exactly what that would be like, and maybe it's not arrows that are flying around, but it's bullets. The enemy is pressing in, Maybe even soldiers are dying around you. But the one who is trusting in the Lord does not even fear that kind of a situation. Now, is this a promise that the spear will always miss its mark or that if you're a Christian, the bullet zooming is just going to somehow deflect around you? Well, you know that's not the case. Some of you may know people, good Christians, who have died in those wartime situations. That's not what's being said here. The promise is that God will be right there with you in the midst of the battle. If he wills, the bullet will curve around you. But if the Lord's will is to bring you home, to be with him in paradise, well, then you know that it was not an accident. It was something that the sovereign Lord chose to to have happen in that situation. And it's in times like that when, when, oh, he was such a good Christian. Why did that happen to him? that sometimes you think, what's going on here? But verse 8 reminds us that, you know, if a Christian dies in a situation like that, the person who is trusting in the Lord knows that the enemy has not won. But it was God who made a decision in that case. We also learn in these verses that God can look after us in times of illness. Verse 6 says, it talks about this pestilence that stalks in the darkness. And it's a reference to an epidemic And those who are trusting in the Lord know that even a serious illness cannot separate them from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There are faith healers who say things, oh, look at here. God says that you're going to have perfect health all the time as long as you are here on this earth. But that is not what's being said here. And then sometimes they'll say, well, if you're sick, it means you don't have enough faith. That's false. Um, Verse 5 says that you will not fear the pestilence that stalks in the darkness. Illness may come. Some of you are going through that time right now, a trial of illness in your life, and you do not fear it because you know the Lord. You know the Lord is in control. You know the Lord can heal you. If it's his will, it is no problem for him to heal you on the spot. You have every confidence that the Lord will do what is best in that situation, both for his glory and for your good. So for a Christian, a serious illness and even death is not that God has failed, that God was not able to do that. That is not the case. You know, if we really grasped how wonderful it is to be in the direct presence of the Lord, I think we would all grieve a lot less when a, when a brother and sister goes to be with our Heavenly Father. Well, I want to point out as well that God looks after us even in times of natural disaster. 
We see here that the, it talks about the destruction that wastes at noontime there in verse 6. And this is talking about something catastrophic. This is like an earthquake. And it may literally be the situation like we read in verse 7. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. It's encouraging to know that even in a, a panic situation like that, the Lord is right there with you. And again, this is not a, a blanket guarantee that you will never have to go through a tornado or a hurricane. That's not what's being said here. I found the following quote that was helpful in understanding this psalm. It says, we rejoice in this psalm not because it promises us a long, trouble-free life on this present earth, but because it assures us that the Lord is with us. In this life, we do not need to fear danger or even death, for he will raise us up from, the death, from death to eternal life, and that is our hope, and in that, we are able to rejoice. Now, the third reason why we can trust in God, why you can trust in the Lord to be your refuge and your fortress is because he's able to protect you from dangers in the spiritual realm. And I see this in verses 9 and 10. Look at verse 9. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall come near your tent. If you have set your trust in the Lord, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, then one of the benefits that has come to you is that you have been protected from God's judgment. Now, how did I get there? Well, let me explain it. Do you see those words, evil and plague, in verse 10? In the Bible, they're usually associated with God's judgment. You can see that in Genesis chapter 12, Deuteronomy chapter 32. But the person who is trusting in Jesus Christ, you know that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he took that judgment that we deserved, but he took it upon himself so that we will never face that evil, that, that time of destruction when the Lord will be pouring out his judgment on sinners. Jesus has already taken that for us. There's also a hint here that God will protect you from another spiritual danger, and that's the attack of the devil and his demons. And I see this in, um, in verse 11. It says, For he will, not, or he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, which is a, a type of snake, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Now we know that angels are real. Um, you can rightly call these angels here in verse 11, call them guardian angels. Now, we're not to pray to them. That's what I was taught in kindergarten. Oh, we pray to our little guardian angels. But you'll notice here, these are creatures that are under God's commands. They are not under our command. We don't pray to angels. Verse 11 says, he will command his angels concerning you. God sends them out to protect us. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14 it says that they are his ministering spirits sent out. They are sent out by God to serve those who will inherit salvation. Now, the devil tried to twist these words, verses 11 and 12 here, when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. The devil really wanted to see would Jesus really trust God's word that God would take care of him. And, of course, Jesus didn't fall for that, and neither should we. God is able to care for us. And armed with our trust in the Lord, verse 13 says, 
that you will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Yes, the Lord is able to protect you from wild beasts, but I don't go, I don't suggest you go around and try to grab a rattlesnake and, and put this to the test. We don't do that. It's, um, the Lord is able to do that, but I, I see these as references to the devil and to his demons. And you'll see in the scripture that often the serpent and the lion are referencing the devil. And it could explain why the Lord is dispatching his angels to protect us in those situations. They are spiritual beings and they can fight in the spiritual realm. The psalmist has told us of his own trust in the Lord. And then he's given you three reasons why you can trust in the Lord to be your refuge and your fortress as well. The Lord is able to shield you from any permanent harm. He will be with you in difficult situations of life and he can protect you from any spiritual harm. Now you would think after hearing that, that trusting in the Lord is a no-brainer. Look at all he is able to do. Look at all he is willing to do in order to protect us. But I want you to notice that God is so gracious that he adds his own personal guarantee to what's already been said by the psalmist. And we see this in verses 16 and 17. Verse 14 says this, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. And when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Do you notice in your Bible in the beginning of verse 14, you see quotation marks. At the end of verse 16, you see closing quotation marks. That's because the speaker is different. We are no longer listening to the psalmist, but we are listening to God himself. And in these verses, God is making eight promises, and those eight promises come with three conditions. Let me talk about the conditions first. According to verse 14, the first condition is that these promises are for those who are holding fast to the Lord in love. The Lord makes it so easy to do this, he is gracious, he is merciful, he is forgiving. The Bible says that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart and our soul and our might. And he makes it easy to do that. So the promises that are coming are for those who will do that, who have accepted Jesus Christ, accepted the love of God through Christ, and they're clinging to him. The second condition is in verse 14. God says, I will protect him because he knows my name. Have you made an effort to get to know the God who saved you? I'm assuming you have because you're here this morning. You want to know more about the Lord. Remember when the Bible talks about knowing the Lord, it's not just talking about gaining more facts. Oh, I, I have to just, it's good. We want to fill our mind with right information about the Lord. But to really know the name of the Lord means you're trusting in his character. It means you're responding to God in worship and in obedience. The third condition is in verse 15. It says, when he calls to me, I will answer him. Jeff already brought out this point this morning. There are a lot of people in this world who like to make this statement. I don't ask anyone for anything. The, word, uh, the Bible has a word for that. It's called pride. And there are some people so proud 
that they will not bow the knee to Jesus Christ and admit to him that they need him, that they need him to save them. And the same thing here, protection is available. The Lord is a refuge and a fortress to those who will say, Lord, I need you. I need your salvation. Now, all three of these conditions are interrelated. If, the, if you love the Lord, you're going to want to get to know him. And if you know him, you will trust in him. But the opposite is also true. If you don't love the Lord, you're not going to want to get to know him. And if you don't know him, certainly you won't run to him to be your refuge and your fortress. Now, I'm kind of reluctant to even call these conditions because these just seem like the natural response of a person who is trusting in Jesus Christ. Of course, I want to run to him. Of course, I want to pray to him. Of course, I want to know him and love him. But when we approach the Lord like this, listen to the Lord's response in verses 14 to 16. I want you to listen to all these I will statements. We're not going to have time to look into every one of them or we'd be here for another hour. But these are These are statements where God is obligating himself to us. He doesn't have to do this. We don't deserve the Lord to do this for us. But listen to what he he says he will do to the one who loves him, the one who is seeking to know him and trust in him. Verse 14, I will deliver him. I will protect him. Verse 15, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him. I will honor him. Verse 16, with long life, I will satisfy him. I will show him my salvation. Now, some have noticed a progression here that the psalmist is talking about, God is talking about here, the whole of the Christian life and what God will do. And I I want you to think about that as as I read this in this light. When you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God delivered you from the kingdom of darkness. Verse 14, in this life he offers you protection and he promises to answer you when you call out to him. In the midst of trouble, he's gonna be with you. He will rescue you from physical and spiritual dangers when that is for your good and for his glory. And then as your time on this earth is coming to a close, he will honor your faithful service and he will grant you everlasting life and he will bestow on you the full benefits of the salvation he won for you through Jesus Christ. So I tell you this morning, do you want a safe place? Do you want a secure place that you can run to in the midst of this world that is constantly changing? You hear about North Korea. You hear about things happening with the economy. Do you want a safe place? It won't be found in gold or any person, any leader. It'll be found by the one who runs to the Lord. Let me close with just reminding you of verse one. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, it is as relevant today as when these words were penned maybe 4,000 years ago. Thank you that you have obligated yourself to us, that you would make these statements, that you will deliver us and protect us and answer our prayer and be with us in the midst of trouble and rescue us, honor us, grant us a satisfying life and you will show us your salvation. 
I thank you for all that you've done for us. We don't deserve it. Lord, no matter where we are in the world, you are there. And you are a shield and a buckler and all these other truths that we've learned about this morning. Thank you. Thank you for your son. And Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for this church that upholds your word, that has a desire to proclaim it, not just here in Siouxland, but in the rest of the world. Thank you for their faithfulness in doing that. And Lord, I just pray as well for my brothers and sisters in Ireland. They've already met this morning. Lord, pray your blessing upon them. Bring many more into your kingdom, both here in Ireland and around the world. May many find you to be their fortress and their refuge. Amen.